Amen. Um, well, like I said, my name's Corey Gant. Uh, I get to have the privilege of continuing our series called The Path to Freedom. And so this series is really all about one idea, and it's a simple thing. God wants you free, right? And that sounds kind of backwards because we're like, oh, you know, that sounds too good to be true. But, well, God wants you free because freedom isn't our selfish little happy place. Right? Freedom means being connected to Christ. So that's what this series is about. We'll be in Galatians today. But last week, we talked about freedom. All right? So this week, I want to talk about war. Because, as you well know, um, freedom is not free. And freedom often is preceded and followed by war. Right? It's usually how those things end up. So, uh, last week, there's a really good example of this. We actually recognize the anniversary of a very significant day in our country's history, D-Day. Um, so I just want to tell you a little bit about that. Um, this was June 6th in 1944. It was the largest naval, land, and air operation in war history. So this was a big deal. Um, and actually, this was one of the first stepping stones to ending World War II, to defeating the Nazi regime, right? Hitler in Germany, defeating that, and bringing the war to an end. So this is a big deal, okay? Um, <clears throat> in that morning, there were air raids. They bombed um, bridges and roads so that the enemies couldn't get to the beaches. That's where the action really took place. So the first day, 150,000 troops showed up and stormed the beaches, and that's just on day one. Okay, so these brave men, they gave their lives. They, rec- they recognized that their life was not about them. They were not at the center of the stage. They realized that I had to dedicate my life to something much bigger than myself, especially if I want to make an impact. I mean, imagine just for a second if the beaches at Normandy were stormed by one really selfish soldier. Right? I promise you we would not be talking about it this morning because there wouldn't be anything to talk about. Um, but when, when the newspapers came back and they announced the victory of what happened there, they didn't have on the front page the name of one selfish soldier. Instead, they talked about the victory of the collective allied forces. Right? They were a part of something bigger. They realized that they had to step off the pedestal, step out of the center stage of their life and put something else in its place, recognize that there are bigger things to live for than just ourselves. And so right before the troops go onto the beach, uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower looks at them and he tells them, because this is a very significant event, this is a life-changing, history-changing event, and he looks at the troops and he says, the eyes of the world are upon you. The eyes of the world are upon you. These men chose to fight. They chose to sacrifice. Um, And they realized that good things aren't always easy things. Right? Freedom isn't free. Good things aren't always easy things. Actually, good almost never means easy. And this is true, I think, across the board. If you're trying to be a successful businessman or businesswoman, run a company well, right? Uh, it, it takes work. That is not an easy thing to do, but it can be a very good thing to do. Or if you're building a relationship, a friendship, a marriage, those things don't come good naturally, right? We have to work and fight to make these things good. There's a war, right? Uh, so this is true even on the lowest, lowest level of something as simple as macaroni and cheese, okay? Uh, you could make macaroni and cheese in like 60 seconds. You walk over to the microwave, you know what I mean? You put it in. But in order to make really good quality grandma mac and cheese, you know what I mean? Like the kind that you're going to have in a couple hours after church, you know, you go to the house. Like that kind of mac and cheese, it takes work. It's probably in the oven right now. It's not easy to make. Good almost never means easy, 
Okay, so the series we're thinking about freedom. Last week we saw that receiving this freedom that we have in Christ is easy, right? We don't earn it. There's nothing we could possibly do to make ourselves right with God, but Jesus did it for us, okay? So there's nothing I can do. Receiving that freedom is easy. I trust that he's enough, but living in that freedom is the hard part, right? Living in that freedom is where the tension comes in because living in freedom doesn't mean that we're living easy. So what does it mean to live in that freedom well? What does that look like at all? What does that mean for us? Well, that's exactly what Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5. So I'll start Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, but here's what I need you to do. If you don't hear this, you will misunderstand the rest of the sermons. You might as well not listen, all right? Uh, It will go drastically wrong for you. We cannot because we will be tempted to. We cannot read these verses as if the first 15 verses don't exist. Okay, You probably know these. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit today, and you probably have these posted up in your bathroom wall or right, somewhere in your kitchen. Okay, Hopefully not the same picture. but So you probably have these somewhere <clears throat> around your house. You're probably familiar with these verses, but we cannot talk about them as if they're <clears throat> divorced from the rest of the chapter because as we saw, we can't earn our relationship with God, but it is very, very tempting to look at these verses if it's a checklist, right? What do I need to do to be a good Christian? What do I need to avoid, right? So I'm, I'm an okay Christian, and just give me the list, and I'll be good. That's tempting to do because it's easy. We think that's something we can accomplish, right? Um, but we cannot do it. That, that's the temptation. So if that's not what Paul's talking about, If he wants us to have this idea that we are saved by faith, faith alone, I can't earn it, let's take that idea into the text and see what Paul is actually talking about when he's talking about freedom. So verse 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. He says, we're not under the law. We're not stuck in sin. We're able to resist sin, right? We don't have to face the punishment and the judgment that we've earned for ourselves, that we deserve because of how sinful we are. We don't have to face that anymore because Christ has made us free. He's pretty much summarizing what he's talked about in um, the previous 15 verses. So Jesus makes us free. We don't have to face that anymore. And he says, because of that, I say, walk by the Spirit. All right, so that sounds very Christianese, right? The secret language that Christians talk to each other on Sunday morning with, right? All the vocabulary words. Um, but so what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Who, who is the Holy Spirit? What does this mean? A lot of times we feel like it's super hippy-dippy, like woo-woo, mystical stuff, okay? But I want you to understand that it's not what we've misunderstood it to be. A lot of times, if you think of a spirit-filled brother, right, or a spirit-filled sister, it's someone who's just wholly nice, or maybe someone who walks up to you on the side of the street and is like, can I pray for you, brother, right? And all that's good, I promise. If you see me walking on the side of the street, I'd love for you to pray for me because I'm sure I need it, okay? But that's not bad, okay? That's good, but what I'm trying to see, or trying to explain is that when we see who the Holy Spirit is, and what it really means to walk by the Spirit. This is not something reserved for four really charismatic people in your church, okay? This is something for every single Christian. So to, to put it super simply, okay, the Holy Spirit, his main mission in Scripture, his main mission is to take all the honor and recognition and praise and to throw it on Jesus, okay? His whole mission, he makes it his job to bring praise to Jesus, So if we're 
filled with the Spirit, if we live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, like Paul talks about here, keep in step with the Spirit, that means our life is a life that is pointing people to Jesus, that he's empowering us to show people that he deserves praise, that our life is a life honoring Christ, pointing people to him. That's what it means. And so something like a Spirit-filled worship service means that everybody in the room is really seeing that Jesus is worthy to be praised. If the Spirit's moving, right? It doesn't mean that I got goosebumps because I listened to the song. It means that everybody in here is really seeing the value and the beauty of Christ, and they are bringing praise to him. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And so he says, walk by the Spirit. It's a life marked by pointing people to Christ with the way we live. Um, And so instead of trying to come up with a mystical way that this works out, and like I said, we're avoiding all the hippy-dippy weird stuff. Instead, let's just look at what the Bible actually says. Sound fair? So he says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So this is about desires, our desires. This is where the war is. We face a war every day on the battlefield of our desires. Look at what he says in verse 17. He says, the desires of the flesh are opposed to the desires of the Spirit. Our old sinful self and the Spirit of God in us, is, there's a war. They're against each other. They're opposed. Because check this out. When you become a Christian, if you really trust in Christ, the Bible says that you are made new. You're a new creation. And so you really do have new desires. You want to. You're filled with the Spirit of God. You want to bring praise to Jesus. You want to live a life that looks like Jesus. You want to live a life that points other people to Jesus. You really want that. But very often, our old sinful hurts, hang-ups, habits, right? our old sinful desires get in the way. And they come in and in the moment say, this feels better than what you're supposed to be doing. And they keep us from doing the thing we really want to do. And sometimes it works the other way, right? I really want to step into this sin or this old habit and the Spirit of God just comes in, sucker punches you and is like, no, do not do that, you moron, you know? Like, this is dangerous. This is not going to bring praise to Jesus, you know? And so there's a war. There's a tension in our soul because we are already saved. We have a relationship with God, but we are not yet perfect. We're not done. He's not finished with us. And so we're on this journey, and there's a war in our soul. So his mission, the Spirit's mission, is to make Jesus known, to bring praise to Jesus. So to put it really, really simply, what Paul is trying to get us to understand is this simple thing, God wants our wants. It's about desires, walking by the Spirit. One of the primary ways that the Spirit of God brings praise to Jesus in our life is by giving us new desires. God wants our wants. And he wants the why behind our wants. He wants the motivation. He wants it all. He wants our desires. When, when we've been changed, when we see something new that we want, when we have new desires, we see that something else has been put on the pedestal, right? I step out of the center stage of my life. I'm no longer in the spotlight, and I see that something else is valuable. Something else is worth dedicating my life towards. I want something different than I used to want. That's what it means. God wants our wants. A lot of times, I think we talk about sin in a bad way, okay? And sin is bad, but I think we talk about it in the wrong way. Um, Often we talk about it as if our sinful desires are too strong, but what I'm gonna argue, okay? Hang with me. uh, Is that our sinful desires are actually too weak 
And you might be like, okay, Pastor, you don't, you don't know me because my sinful desires are pretty darn strong, you know? Like, you don't want to see me after someone's just popped off to me at work Monday morning or, you know, like, you don't want to see me without my coffee, okay? Uh, my sinful desires are really, really strong. Well, I'm not talking about how strongly we feel pulled towards a certain sin. What I am talking about is the fact that sin is a weak desire because our desire for good is weak, Sin's desire feels strong because we don't really desire good. Or to put it another way, sin is always settling for less. Because weak desires are easily satisfied. So if sin is settling for less, then our sinful desires, as strong as they feel, it's really settling for less. It's really something that's easily satisfied. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he talks about it like this. Imagine a toddler, he's outside, right? Um, and he's playing in the mud, okay? So he does not have a lot of life experience, but this is one of the best things he's ever experienced, okay? So he's out playing in the mud, he's enjoying it, he's getting his hands dirty, he's covered in it, and he's just having a good time making mud pies. And in his mind, this is as good as it gets, right? This is the best thing in the possible world, right? And so he loves it every second of it. Mom comes outside, says, hey, sweetie, we gotta come in, you gotta clean up, we got Thanksgiving dinner on the table, and we're ready to go, so let's enjoy this thing. Is the toddler happy? No. Uh, because he really likes the mud, right? And so if the toddler could talk, he'd look at his mom and be like, well, um, is there mud on this Thanksgiving dinner table? Is there mud in this so-called feast? You say there's dessert, is there mud pies? No, then I don't want any part of it because that doesn't sound like fun. Mud is as good as it gets, right? The problem is he doesn't know how good the Thanksgiving dinner really is. So because he has no clue, he's easily satisfied. He's settling for less. He's stuck in the mud, right? He's easily satisfied because he has a weak desire, even though he really loves it. That's the thing, is the kid loves to play in the mud. No one's forcing him to do it. It's a strong desire to play in the mud, but he's easily satisfied because he has no clue what's going on on the dinner table, right? So sin in our life is always a settling for less. We're just like that toddler. We have no idea what God wants for us, and yet we settle for less. So I think Paul is really trying to get us to ask the question of ourselves, what do we want? What do we want? Do you want a spouse or a girlfriend, boyfriend? Do you want a house? That rhymes. Do you want a job or a promotion? Do you want to just get out of Sumter? Do you want to come into something? Do you want to find a house to stay here? Do you want a new job? Do you want a fresh start? Whatever it is, and there's valid desires, but what is it that you want? And then ask the follow-up question of why, right? I think the way to fight this war in ourself is to really be aware of what's going on, to be aware of where our desires are taking us. We need to have an awareness of this. So that's how we fight well. What does it look like if we don't fight well? That's what Paul talks about in the next couple of verses. So verse 19, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. They're obvious. We know what a sinful life looks like. He says they're evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, enviness, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, now obviously, this list is representative 
of sin. It's not an exhaustive list of every single kind of sin. So if you didn't see yours on there and you're like, oh, thank goodness, I got away with it, uh, go ahead and add it to the list, right? Um, Because it's there. Uh, He says, and things like this, okay? So you didn't get off that easy, but we're all here at some level. So here's what I want to do. Just please don't kick me off the stage just yet. Um, Together, on purpose, not on accident, I want us to read this the wrong way. All right, I will correct it. But let's have fun. Let's read it the wrong way first. Because we are very tempted, like I said, to go for the checklist Christianity thing. Say, give it to, just tell me what I need to do. Tell me what I need to avoid. What do I need to do to be a good Christian? And I'm good to go. Okay, so let's play the checklist game, shall we? All right, works of the flesh, um, jealousy, fits of anger, envy, dang it. You know what I mean? Like, already, okay? And you can go on and on. If we try to play the checklist game, okay, um, as lovingly as I can possibly say it, we fail, 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 right? You, you will do one or more of these things. And maybe you're in here like, I have done every single one of these things, okay? Um, and that's fine. I'm glad you're here. But on some level, we will do one or more of these things. This will describe our life to some extent at some point, Okay? And Paul, he warns us because sin is dangerous. Sin leads to death. It's destructive. And he says those who do such things or those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says the person whose life is marked by this stuff is not a Christian. And now that can be really hard to deal with. We start thinking all these questions about am I really saved? Am I? So if you were here during our Hebrew series, we went through Hebrews chapter 10 and there was a similar phrase where he says, those who go on deliberately sinning. All right, so this is not talking about a Christian who's slipping up, who falls into sin, who hates it, who grieves over it, who's repenting. This is talking about someone who chases after their sin because they know what God says. They don't care what God says. I wanna do it anyways. I love this. I have joy in my sin. That kind of person, Paul says, is a person who does not have the spirit of God in them. And it's because the only... If that wasn't true, then that means someone can be filled with the spirit of the living and true God, and he empowers them and guides them in their life, and they're chasing after sin and loving sin, and those same things, the spirit of God says, well, this is evil, it leads to death, it's going to destroy you, and God hates it. Like, that doesn't add up. So Paul recognizes it, he calls it out, and I think we need to see the reality of just how dangerous sin is. Left to ourselves. This is what we desire, right? These are the mud pies that we very often settle for instead of knowing what's going on on the Thanksgiving dinner table, right? There is much more for us inside. This is what the mom's trying to get the toddler to understand. There is so much more for you inside at the dinner table. There is more for us if we are in step with the Spirit, if we are guided by the Spirit, if we're walking with Him, there is much more for us. And so what does that look like? What does it look like if we fight this fight well? Okay, so he goes on and he describes the fruit of the Spirit. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, like I said, you've probably heard these verses before. They may be somewhere in your house right now. Um, But I just want to hang on a couple, just a little phrase. Okay, let's look at the first couple words. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit. So how many? One. Fruit. Singular. Only one. See, if we pick it apart, 
then we can start to feel good about ourselves, right? If I say, okay, well, love, enjoy, like you should see me at church or you should see me in my happy place. Like I am so joyful or when I'm around my best friend, like I am so loving to him. And so, yeah, I got the fruit of the spirit because, well, I, I can be really patient around my friend who me and him get along really well and we act alike. So yeah, I can be really patient then. And so if we pick it apart, then we can start to feel really, really good about ourselves, right? But the reality is, is it's one thing. So they all go together. You can't isolate one. Being a Christian, having new desires means that on some level, all of these are on display in our lives. On some level, all of these are on display. And so I think it's helpful to think of it like this, okay? Um, has anybody ever been to an apple orchard or like a strawberry patch or something like this? Okay, so um, if you're, imagine you're a toddler again, okay, so we're using toddler examples, uh, and you're about this tall and you're walking through the apple orchard with your dad, and you're trying to find good fruit, right? But because you're only this tall, uh, you're looking for all the apples that are the good ones, and so you pick some up, and they're mushy, and so you throw those away, or no, you probably squish them because you're a toddler. Um, but so you, you're trying to find good ones, or you find one that looks okay, but it's kind of bruised. You take a bite, and there's a worm in it, right? And so you, you can't find any good ones, and even the best ones are still kind of bruised because they fell from the the tree. And the problem is, even the best fruit on the ground that you can find on your own is disconnected from the thing that gives it life. The only way to have access to the good fruit is for the father to pick up the kid, right, and hold him up and let him grab, or to take it and hand it to him. He has to be in step with the father. He has to be guided by the father and be totally dependent on him to have access to, to the good fruit. So the works of the flesh are the things that we naturally find on our own, but the fruit of the Spirit are the things we supernaturally find. See, this is about God's work in us, okay? It's not talk, Paul is not talking about your natural tendency to be loving, okay? Or your natural tendency to be generous, right? Just for generosity's sake. This is a generosity that is from God. This is a supernatural generosity that says, I have been given so much more than I deserve. Of course, I want to give something back. Or I have been loved so much more than I deserve. Or God has been so faithful to me, even when I'm not faithful to him, of course, I'm going to be faithful to you. Or the fact that I know who God is. I know where I'm going, right? I know he's got me. He's ultimately in control. And so no matter what goes on, I can be at peace. And I can have joy that God is doing a work in me, that he's bringing things about for my good and his glory, right? I can have that no matter what. That is a supernatural thing. It's not our own natural ability because the best of our natural abilities are just the okay apples with worms in them, right? It's the things we naturally find, but the fruit of the Spirit are what we supernaturally find. We cannot produce these on our own. It's the work of God in us. And so, if we read these two lists, okay, the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh, if we read these things and we either feel really, really good about ourselves or really bad about ourselves, and we're in shame, we're stuck there, either way, we read it wrong, right? That's where the checklist Christianity takes you. It only leads to either pride or despair, right? Because if you go through the checklist and you think you got it, well, then look what I got going on. I'm super loving. I'm a super Christian, right? And I feel really good about myself and I'm prideful because I'm focused on me. Or, if I feel really awful because I see the standard, I don't live up to it, there's no possible way I can ever do this, and I'm looking at me, and I'm looking at what I have to do, on both of these examples, who am I focused on? Myself. 
Right? The problem with the checklist Christianity is that it still focuses on us. It still puts us center stage. It still puts us on the pedestal, right? The problem is that it's still focused on us. So we shouldn't feel super awesome about ourselves, or we shouldn't feel stuck in shame and guilt. What we should feel, reading these lists, what we should feel is grateful. And if you don't feel grateful, can I invite you into that freedom today? Because the Christian is able to look at these verses and say, okay, the works of the flesh, yes, I have been there. And that's described my life, right? Like I, I've been here in the dirt and I don't deserve any of the grace that God has shown me, but I know his son. And I trust that he is enough. And because of that, he has promised to give me his spirit. He's promised to work these fruit out in my life. He's promised to make me more and more like Jesus, right? So he's doing a work in me, even though I don't deserve it. He's doing that anyways. He's faithful. I can be grateful for that in my life. And so what it means is that I don't have to focus on myself. I'm finally out of the focus. Because here's the deal. We are not the focus of our faith. We're not. We're not the focus of our faith. That is the problem with checklist Christianity, right? Do I, do I treat my life that way? Because the checklist Christianity, all it can offer us is saying that, well, you have to keep up the reputation. You have to maintain the image. You got to keep the mask looking nice. You got to keep yourself cleaned up so that nobody knows that you're sinful. But the gospel says, hey, I know you're messy. I know you're sinful. I'm going to clean you. Stop trying to clean yourself. I've got it. I've already done the work. That's the gospel. And so what, what does it look like to live in that freedom? What does it look like to live in the freedom and say, I can be grateful to God even though I don't deserve this? He says in verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So, so he sees this, and he's telling us something. He says, every war has casualties. And he says, in this war, the casualty is our old self. He says, we've crucified the flesh. We have killed our old desires. Our lives have been totally reoriented. We've been given new desires. We are new people. We've killed the old self. And the imagery here is really intense because he doesn't say, we took the old self, we threw it in the washing machine, we turn it off a little bit, it comes out, it's dry, and it's looking pretty good. No, he says, we have crucified it. And every single person who picked up this letter from Paul and read it had one image in their mind, and it was a bruised and bloody and beaten Jesus on the cross, bleeding, struggling to breathe, dying, even though he did not deserve it. They have this image in their mind. This growth can be painful. It's a painful process to grow as a Christian. Al Strive, we talk about growing character. We have the Grow Character class tonight with Todd. It's an excellent opportunity, but here's the reality that he's going to present to us is that it's a difficult thing, right? But just because it doesn't feel good doesn't mean it's bad, right? Even though it doesn't feel good, it is good. This is a good process that God is purging the evil and the sin out of our lives. So I don't have to try to measure up with a checklist anymore. I can rest in God's grace and see what he's doing in my life, right? 
But we know, we know this can be a painful process. Has anybody ever had to break a bad habit because of their faith? They, they realize, oh my goodness, I can't do this anymore and struggle and struggle. Or who has ever had tension in a relationship with their family or their friends or their job, right? Because of their faith. Maybe you had to take a stand and it wasn't received well, right? This can be a difficult and painful process. And he knows that. That's why he says, hey, don't become conceited. Don't provoke one another. Don't envy one another. You guys are supposed to do this thing together, so don't, you know, let your sinful self get in the way and ruin the whole thing. Like, don't fight with each other. Encourage one another. And so, I'm not, what I'm not trying to do is offer a sales pitch. Like, I'm not up here selling timeshares and stuff like that. That's not, that's not my game. But if you're in Christ, okay, if you really trust that he's enough and he's making you to be like him, don't you want to know if you're growing, like if you, if you are in Christ, don't you want to know if you are in step with the Spirit? If your life is bringing praise to Jesus. I think we do. And so when, when we're going about our life, as we're living just every day, I think we ought to ask ourselves this question, is who is being put on display? Who's being put on display, okay? Because the Holy Spirit in us, we're supposed to walk by the Spirit, be guided by him. The Spirit's main mission is to bring praise to Jesus. So in my life, who's the one getting the recognition, right? If I'm working really hard at work and I'm trying to be successful, which is a good thing, am I doing it so I get all the notoriety and people see how good of a worker I am and maybe I get the promotion or maybe they see me and they're super proud of me and they're focused on me or am I doing it because, okay, I know God has put me here for a reason, He's given me talents and resources that I need to use wisely. He's called me to love my neighbor, and so through my job, I can do that well. If I'm in an argument with somebody, am, am I more concerned that they know I'm right and they're dumb, or am I more concerned that they see Christ at work in me? And even if the person needs to be corrected, because let's just be honest, some people just need reality to set in, right? But even in those moments, am I more concerned that they know I'm holier than them and I'm better than them or I'm smarter than you? Or am I trying to show them that I am not perfect, but Jesus is trying to do a work in me. Let's do this thing together, right? We're aiming at him. Who is getting the focus? Who's getting the praise? Who is being put on display? Because living in freedom means putting Christ on on display. I think that's the goal. That's the the direction that Paul wants us to go in. He's saying you need to live a life that puts Christ on display. The checklist Christianity game, all it does is focuses on us. And finally, the freedom that we can live in is as backwards as it seems, is to get out of the way. Because then I don't have to focus on my reputation. I don't have to focus on the mask, the image that I need to keep up because I'm out of the way and I'm putting the attention on Jesus. And he's using somebody broken, right? But focus on him. My life can be geared towards putting him on display. And so I think we can go back to Eisenhower's words to these troops as they're about to face um, the beaches of Normandy. And he looks at them and says, the eyes of the world are upon you. I think as people... We need to make it our mission as a community of people here at Alice Drive trying to get, right, reach as many people as possible to take their next step towards Jesus. That's, that's why we're here. We're gathered together to worship and celebrate the Lord and who he is and what he's done. As we come together, let's make it a point, okay, to turn the eyes of the world away from us and to put them on Christ because he deserves the praise and he deserves the glory. So turn their eyes towards him. Let's pray. Father, thank you 
for today. Thank you for the work that you've done in our lives. I pray that as we go um, through the rest of the week, that we would be mindful of who is getting the recognition, that you would just show us where we need to get out of the way and bring honor to your son. Thank you for the life we can live, not only with you, but with your people. And so be with us as we continue to worship you. Keep us safe to do this again next week. In your name I pray, amen.